Hey everybody, you're listening to the Legacy Church Podcast. Legacy Church is a multi-generational church that exists to worship God, become like Jesus, and bring hope to our community. Today, we're sharing a message from our current series. We believe that the Word of God is powerful and has real-life application to our lives today. We hope that this message encourages you. Get connected and learn more about us by visiting our website at lgcy.church. For those of you who do know me, and for those of you who don't know me, my name is Quentin. I am not the pastor of the church. Pastor Matthew and Pastor Rachel are the pastors, but they, I'm so thankful and humbled to be given this opportunity to speak to you this morning. Um, and yeah, it's a good day to, to, to speak the good news. Um, yeah, so... Last time I spoke was in December, just before Christmas. And I spoke on the question, why did Jesus have to come as a human? Why did he have to come as a baby? Why was that the way that God chose to save the world? Why, was, why did the creator of the universe who spoke, literally spoke the universe into existence, why did he choose to send his only son to die on the cross, to be crucified, to be murdered for the forgiveness of our sins? so that he could have eternal life with us. Why did he do that? And I joked to you in that message that I was giving you an Easter message on Christmas. So I thought, hey, wouldn't it be kind of funny if I gave you a Christmas message before Easter? I'm just kidding. (laughs) I won't do that. But Christ came as that babe in that manger to accomplish what happened on Easter. And so for the next few weeks, um, myself and a few other uh, speakers are going to be sharing and preparing us for Easter. Um, So the next few weeks, you're going to hear a few messages on the specific events that led up to Christ's death and his resurrection, um, culminating on that that good Easter Sunday um, when he rose again. And today I'm going to be talking to you about Peter, and specifically about the deni- Peter's denial of Jesus, um, right as um, Jesus was being taken away. And if you're taking notes, which you should be taking notes because you're in church, all right? Everyone should be taking notes. So I actually, I, funny story. I, uh, growing up, I've always grown up in church and was at a youth conference and the speaker said, it's a, it's a proven fact that those people who take notes are a thousand times more attractive than those who don't take notes. So if you're taking notes, the title of today's message is something like Peter's Big Whoopsie or something like that. I don't know. Maybe it could just be Peter and the denial of Jesus if you want to be boring or uh, I am Peter because you will find out that today we are all Peter. So... Anyways, let's get right into the main scripture passage for today and buckle up because it's a long one. So I'm going to invite my friend Taylor to come up and help me read it because it's a long one. So uh, yeah, let's give him a round of applause for being willing to read this morning. That's good. Okay, so if you have your Bibles with you, um, please turn to Luke 22, verse 31. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it'll be on the back screen. Um, 
Yeah, this is the word of God. Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you, even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even knew me. Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to Mount, the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then, an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last, he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray, so that you will not give in to temptation. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought our swords. And one of them struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. He touched the man's ear and he healed him. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him said, I, am I some dangerous revolutionary, he asked, that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there with you every day. Uh, yeah, but this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. Great. Thank you, Taylor. So, I've separated my message today into three parts. The first part is going to answer the question, who is Peter? The second part is going to be looking at Peter's denial, but also his redemption. And the third part is why this matters to us. So, first part one, who is Peter? So we need to set the stage for why this story is so important and why it should matter to us, why we need to learn from it. So I'm going to give you a little crash course on Peter. Peter is or was a fisherman from Capernaum, which is a little town on the north end of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. Jesus finds him fishing, and he calls him from the boat and says, come and be a fisher of people. Peter leaves everything, drops everything, follows him. 
And while following Jesus, Peter became one of Jesus's closest companions alongside James and John. And yet Peter really distinguished himself as the lead disciple, as the leader of the group of the 12. Um, And even, yeah, of the 12, you had the three, Peter, James, and John. And of those three, he was still the leader. So as a disciple, Peter followed Jesus. He watched Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracle. He watched Jesus speak to thousands of people. He healed, he watched Jesus speak, uh, heal the sick, heal the paralyzed, mend the broken, cast out demons, feed the hungry. And not only did he watch Jesus do this, the Bible says that Jesus gave his disciples the authority to do this on his behalf. So Peter also had the authority to do all of these things, and he did. And because Peter was one of the three closest disciples, uh, he was in the inner circle with Jesus, he was able to see Jesus in a lot of situations that some of the other disciples were not able to see Jesus in. He got to see Jesus in some of the greatest triumphs and most glory-filled moments while he was on earth. And he also got to see Jesus, as we just read, in some of his most sorrow-filled moments. He truly got to see who Jesus was in a way that the others could not. And Pastor Rachel spoke on this a few weeks ago, so I won't go into it too much. But I'm sure we all know the story if you've been around church. Um, We see an example of Peter's great faith in Matthew 14 when he is the only disciple to step out of the boat and to walk on water towards Jesus. Sure, he does get distracted by the winds and the waves and he starts to fall. But the amount of faith that it took just to step out of that boat shows you how great Peter's faith was, how much he trusted Jesus. Now further on in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 19, we see that Peter understands the assignment, as the kids would say nowadays. He he knows what's going on. He knows why Jesus is here. So Matthew 16 says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you people say that the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. But then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth, we will forbid in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth, we will permit in heaven. The Father in heaven had chosen to reveal these special things to Peter alone. And because of his faith, Jesus says that the church, the capital C church, the global church, the world church, will be founded upon Peter. That Peter will be the foundation for the vehicle or the method um, in which Jesus has chosen to spread his gospel, his good news. In other words, you could say that Peter is the guy. So we continue on. Six days later, Peter, James, and John are going to have an experience of the glory of heaven on earth, unlike anyone could could ever imagine, unlike any of the other disciples. And the term for it is called Jesus's transfiguration, which is a very long and fancy word for just meaning that there was a change in form or appearance. 
Jesus's change in form, change to an exalting or glorifying or spiritual change. So we read in Matthew 17, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up the high mountain to be alone. As the men watched Jesus's appearance transformed so that his face shone like the sun, his clothes became white as light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter explained, Lord, it is wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And the voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified. They fell face down on the ground. And then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they only saw Jesus. On that mountaintop, Moses, who had been dead for hundreds of years, Elijah, a great prophet, also gone, appeared, and the heavenly Father, God, literally spoke down to them and said, this is my beloved son. Only these three disciples got to experience that. This is Jesus on full display as the son of God. So over the period of three or so years following Jesus, Peter witnessed so many incredible things. He did so many incredible things and he had the opportunities to grow his faith so that he was a man of great faith. He was one of Jesus's closest companions. Now, imagine how much it must have hurt Jesus when he denied him that day, three times. And this is what makes the denial so devastating and so heartbreaking. And I want you to understand who Peter is, what he has done and what he's come through so that you can understand how heartbreaking it would have been to Jesus on that day. So back to our main story and part two. Peter's denial. At the last supper at the table, Peter says he would give his life for Jesus. He would, go for, he would go to prison. He would go to die with Jesus if he had to. And yet, when the cookie crumbled, what happened? He was a coward. He couldn't even acknowledge Jesus' name to a servant girl, to a little girl. He couldn't do it. And Jesus knew this. He told Peter that he was going to do this. How much would that have hurt Jesus? How much pain would that have caused him? And that same night that Peter boasted that he would die for Christ in front of all the disciples, he fell asleep in the garden. Not once, but twice. While Jesus was praying. Then, when the Roman soldiers come to arrest Jesus, what does he do? He chops the guy's ear off. This man wants to fight 600 Roman soldiers. It's not gonna happen, Peter. And then, even more devastating, he denies that he even knew Jesus. First to a little servant girl, and then to two others. And when he denied Jesus, not only did he deny that he knew Christ, he didn't even refer to him by his name. 
He said, I don't know that man. Did you catch that? He couldn't even muster up the courage to refer to him by name because he knew what he was doing. Even though, as we read like five minutes ago, that Peter was the first disciple to acknowledge that Jesus was the Son of God, was the Messiah. He was the first one and the only one to acknowledge that. And yet he couldn't even refer to him by name. Charles Spurgeon is an old-time preacher from England, and he says, The higher our privilege, the greater our responsibility. The more noble our vocation, the more horrible our sin when we fall into it. Do we now understand the gravity of the sin that was committed by Peter? Do you feel a little bit of what Jesus might have felt when his good best friend did this to him? Now, maybe you've been in a similar situation with a friend, with a family member, a coworker, colleague, minus, of course, the Roman legion and the crucifixion and the whipping and, and all that. But maybe you've been in that place where you've had a friend who has turned their back on you, who has denied you, who has said something behind your back, who has let you down when you needed them most. I can't imagine, as someone who knows how that feels, it doesn't feel good. And the truth is that we're all human. You, me, your neighbor, your coworker, your boss, your ex, politicians, celebrities, even Peter. We are all human. And at that moment in the garden, in the courtyard, Peter was scared. I mean, I don't, I don't blame him. Can you imagine what you would be feeling when 600 Roman soldiers come to arrest the man that you've been following for the past few years? I'd be afraid. But he was afraid of what might happen to him. And even though he did put on that tough show in front of all the other disciples, he was a coward at the time or when the time came. And he let his fear take over him. His great faith that he had been growing and growing and growing for years was overshadowed in that moment by his fear. And that, that happens to us. That happens to me. I'm sure that happens to you. We let our worry and our doubt get in the way of what God has for us, of what God is calling us to be, what he's calling us to do. We're supposed to have the faith, the kind of faith that Pastor Matt was talking about last week, the stating faith. The faith that says to the mountain, jump, and it jumps. The faith that says to a sickness and disease, gone, and it is gone. The faith that thanks God in advance for his provisions and his blessings to supply our every need. That's the kind of faith that we're supposed to have. But we are humans. We fall short. We mess up. And let me tell you, the Bible does not ever shy away from highlighting the failures of the great men and women that are mentioned in there. Because we, like Peter, are human. They are human. David, one of the most revered kings in the Bible, human, messed up royally. Moses, killed an Egyptian, human. Abraham, tried to bring God's promise by himself, human. We're all human. We all mess up. 
Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and who never sins. Now, this simply means that there is no one who is human, beside Jesus, of course, who is capable of only ever doing good and never, ever, ever making a mistake, never sinning. All of the greats in the Bible fell into sin at some point in their lives. And so will you, and so will I. I've done it. I will continue to do it because I'm human. Romans 3.23 says the same thing. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a single one of us who does not make mistakes, who does not fail. Now, is that where Peter's story ends, though? Is that where our story ends? This is a really sad message if that's where it ends. Let me tell you. I don't know. That's kind of depressing. I'm here telling you, Peter was so great, and then he failed. You're going to fail. I'm going to fail. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. But that's not the end, is it? Is that the last time that we read about Peter in the Bible? No. Is that the last time that Luke says that the Lord turned his face towards Peter? And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly, never to be seen again. No, doesn't say that. His three years of discipleship and training and learning under Jesus, they weren't a waste. And the reason that we celebrate Easter is the reason that we continue to hear about Peter in the scriptures and is the reason that you and I can have a relationship with our creator. Romans 5.20 said that God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So how does the rest of Peter's story go? Well, another Coles Notes version of it because I'm already running out of time. In John 21, after his death and resurrection, Jesus appears to Peter and a few of the other disciples in, in Galilee. Peter has stopped preaching. He has gone back to what he knew, his comfort food, fishing. He's gone back home. Jesus appears to him, calls him to the shore, has a meal with him. And every, for every time that Peter denied Jesus, Peter, Jesus asked Peter the question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times he asked Peter that question to redeem him the three times that he denied him in that courtyard. We read in the book of Acts and in many of the letters um, of the New Testament that Peter goes on to be filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Peter establishes the Christian church and he brings thousands and thousands of people into salvation every single day. The Bible says that 3,000 were added on this on this day. 5,000 were added on this day. Thousands of people. He established the church. Peter faced persecution. He faced arrest. He eventually faced martyrdom. He died for the cause. And he fulfilled the calling, his calling as the rock, as the rock on which the church was founded on, just as Jesus said. Peter was not and is not and will never be defined by his sin on that day. This is not who Peter is. 
He made a mistake, but that's not who he is. That does not define him. And he chose, he made that choice to then go from that moment and boldly proclaim Christ for the rest of his life. And that choice sits in front of you and me as well. You have the choice to let your sin and your shortcomings and your failures to define you. You do. You can let that happen. You can be depressed. You can get yourself into your own head and you can just think, oh, God will never use me because I'm, I did this. I did that. But what was that song that we sung this morning? Amazing grace that he has for you and for me. And he will use you if you let him. If you make that choice today to say, I will not be defined by my sin. I will be defined by what God has called me into. And what he's calling you into is to proclaim his glory to the rest of the world and for the rest of your life. So part three, how is this applicable to us? I gave you a little bit of a teaser, but how is this applicable to us? What does it mean for us today? Why am I up here telling you about Peter's failure and his redemption? Well, first of all, it's a fantastic story. It's a fantastic testimony of heartbreak, of tragedy, but also of redemption and of grace. And there are a few key takeaways that I want to end with today that I want you to remember. Um, so if you're taking notes, take notes. First, all have fallen short. Just as we read, we have all sinned. We will all sin. If there is anyone who believes that they have never sinned or failed in their life, then this place, this church is not for you. Because Timothy Keller says that we as the church are the hospital for the sinner, not the museum for the saint. We're all broken. We all need something greater than ourselves. And what we need is point number two, that his grace is sufficient for you. Again, just as we read, God's grace is sufficient to forgive your sins. He gives us the ability to have eternal life through Christ Jesus when he died on that cross. And if you're going to tell me that Jesus' sacrifice cannot forgive your sins, then you need, well, you need to read your Bible more. Because <laughs> Jesus didn't come to save some and not others. He came to save everyone. He came to save every sin that man and woman have ever done on the face of the earth. There is nothing that his grace isn't sufficient to cover. And I know that as a human, it's kind of hard to fathom because God also created us with a sense of justice and of judgment, and he is a just God. But he's also a gracious God. And for anyone who turns to him to ask for forgiveness and repentance and anyone who wants to make him the savior of their lives, he will give them grace whether we understand it or like it or not. That's his grace. And even though Peter failed and sinned in such a devastating way, Christ's grace is enough. Regardless of what you have done in your life, Christ's sacrifice is enough. And if you accept him today as your Lord and Savior, his grace is enough for you. John three sixteen and 17 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, 
that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. So it does not matter what you've done. God loves you so much. He sees you. He suffered in our place so that we can spend eternity with him. He has not condemned you. He has not forgotten about you. So I'm asking you today, turn to him. Turn to him and your life will never be the same again. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10 says, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Christ's grace is sufficient for you. Point number three, repentance is hard, but it's necessary. Now that is our end of the bargain when it comes to grace from God. And repentance is not simply asking God to forgive you and then going along your merry way and continuing to fall into that same sin over and over and over again. So repentance, I'm walking along this line. I'm walking in sin. All right? It's not just saying, okay, God, please forgive me. Continue to walk towards the sin. It's, okay, God, I recognize what I'm doing is wrong. I need your help. Let me go back towards you. All right? It's doing a full 180 away from your sin, away from the people, away from the places, away from the things that cause you to sin and turning back your attention to the Father. Remember the song that we sung, uh, Pastor Matt sung a few weeks ago, turn your eyes upon Jesus. When you are in sin, you need to repent of it and you need to turn back to Jesus. True repentance requires cutting yourself free from the people, the places, and the things that are causing you to fall into that sin. There might be a great cost that is associated with doing that. And I recognize that. And I realize that, but that is true repentance. And the Bible says, what is it to gain the whole world just to lose your soul? What is more important here? Peter felt great anguish after realizing that he had forsaken and, re- and denied the Lord. So we too should mourn in those moments when we deny Christ. We should be heartbroken when we fall into sin, when we reject him. And when we instead replace him and our focus on him with our focus on the pleasures of the world. Ultimately, turn your eyes back to Jesus. Repentance is not about feeling bad for your behavior, but it's more about feeling delight in what God has in store for you and what God has called you to be. Now, point number four, the importance of prayer. At the last supper table, Jesus, just before he tells Peter that Peter's going to deny him, Jesus says that he has pleaded in prayer for Peter, that Peter's faith should not fail. Jesus prayed for Peter. Jesus prayed and interceded on his behalf. And later in the garden, Jesus tells Peter, James, and John to pray so that you will not be overcome with temptation. 
For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus needed to pray. And if Jesus needed to pray, I need to pray. You need to pray, (laughs) okay? Just like Peter, there's going to be moments in our life, though, when we fall asleep, when we're supposed to be praying, but all we want to do is sleep. When those moments when you or I, when I feel overwhelmed, feel stressed out from school or work or life or whatever, and I just want to binge Netflix, does anyone else get, get that feeling? When you just want to, what is it? Not crash. Um, just do nothing. Just be a lazy couch potato and watch Netflix because everything's just going on in the world. Well, I'd encourage you to pray, okay? Don't turn to Netflix to solve your problems because it's not going to. But praying to our Heavenly Father will. And in Philippians 4, verse 6, it says that in every situation, pray pray with thanksgiving in your heart. Give your request to God and he will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. Pray in every situation. Joyful, sorrowful. Pray, 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 pray. So that you may align your desires with his word. Point number five, and the last point I have for you today. We need not be afraid of sharing the gospel. This is the last key key takeaway that I want to give to you because I want to remind you that we do not have to be afraid to share his good news. Now, if you're anything like me, I know in our modern secular world, it can be a little bit intimidating and I guess sometimes embarrassing and awkward and just scary to bring up your faith with others. So I want to tell you a little story. It's a little silly, but I hope that you can relate to it. So about two weeks ago, Lara and I went out for dinner, um, and it was just us, and it was great. It was nice to have a date night. Um, But we went to a, a nice restaurant, and as the waitress is preparing the bill for us, she asks, what are we doing for the rest of the evening? And we were going to see the movie Jesus Revolution which is a fantastic movie, by the way. I don't think it's in theaters, but if you haven't seen it, you should see it. Anyways, we're at dinner. The waitress is preparing the bill. She asks us if we have any plans. And it was in this moment, this split moment, where I didn't want to tell her that I was going to see a Jesus movie. I kind of felt a small bit of fear about telling her that I was going to see a movie about Jesus-loving hippies. And I don't know why. I've been raised in the faith for the 24 years of existence. But in that moment, I I felt the temptation to say, I don't know, we're just going to pick when we get there. And it was a split-second thought, a split-second fear that almost stopped me from saying something as simple as, we're going to go see the movie Jesus Revolution. Again, something so little. And yet I was almost afraid to share it, but I, rec- I did recognize this fear, and I did share that we were going to see a Jesus movie. And what may come of that small interaction with the righteous, I don't know. But that's not my job. 
That's the job of the Holy Spirit. I don't change hearts. I don't shape hearts. I don't mold hearts. That's the Holy Spirit who does that. What your job and what my job are is to share the gospel. That's all that we can do. We can lead the horse to water. We can't force it to drink. That's the work of the Holy Spirit is to change the lives of those around you. So sharing the good news may be intimidating, but it is also what God commands us to do. He commands us to preach the gospel. Romans 1.16 says and reminds us to not be ashamed of the good news of Christ, for it is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. I want you to go home. I want you to pray that God will give you an opportunity to share his good news with someone. Whether it be a conversation, whether it be simply an action to demonstrate his love of why you're different, of what you've got that they might not have. I want you to pray for the courage and the strength to share with someone just how much they're loved. I want you to pray that you can be a light in the darkness. Billy Graham says that our faith becomes stronger as we express it. A growing faith is a sharing faith. And as we finish our series on legacy faith, we're coming up to Easter. And I want you to pray for those opportunities that you can bring people in. I want you to pray for those opportunities to share your faith not only for their sake, but also for your sake, as a way to express your faith, as a way to grow your faith. James 2 says, without faith works is dead, or sorry, without works, faith is dead. We just spent seven weeks learning about legacy faith, stating faith, wavy faith, lazy faith, waiting faith, all of the baby faiths, all of those faiths. We have just learned about that. It's in here. Hopefully it's in here, but now it's time to walk that out, all right? Now it's time to put that into practice. Now it's time to grow your faith by inviting someone out to church. Easter is the perfect opportunity to do that. So I want this house to be packed on Easter. I'm sure you want that too. I want that. I want more people to know of the love that Jesus has for us. I want more people to know the good news that they are not forgotten about, that they are seen, that they are forgiven, that they are loved. So let's pack this house with people who need Jesus, with people who are hungry for Jesus. In in the movie Jesus Revolution, they had all these hippies who were searching the world, worldly things, for things that would bring them fulfillment, purpose in life. So they went to drugs. They went to all this other stuff. Every generation has that. Now this generation, they're searching for something. Everyone has this God-shaped hole inside of their hearts that only God can fill, but we as humans tend to fill it with a bunch of other stuff that just never fulfills us. But everyone has that longing inside of them to fill that hole. Everyone. And it's our work, our job, our responsibility, our command to tell them about Jesus. So, practically, there's some invitation cards on the back. Grab them. We have 
lots, so many. And after Easter, we won't be able to use them. So take them home with you. Take lots. Take more than you're expecting to hand out. But open yourself up and pray for the courage to share your faith, whether it be to a little girl or to an adult, whether it be to your neighbor or to your coworker or to your whoever. That's all I got. All right? So I hope that you're able to get something from today. I hope that you feel encouraged. I hope that maybe you got a little head knowledge, a little heart knowledge, that you feel something, that you feel challenged, hopefully. And I hope that the Holy Spirit was able to speak to you in a way that I could never. So let us pray. Father God, you are so good. And we thank you so much for sending your son 2,000 years ago to die on the cross, to forgive us as the ultimate sacrifice, as the perfect sacrifice, as the fulfillment of prophecy, and as the bringer of grace and mercy. Lord, we thank you for sending your son to die. We thank you that you see us. We thank you that we are not forgotten We thank that we can turn to you away from our sin, away from the things of this world. We can turn to you and know what it means to be loved. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give us the courage this week and the strength and the words to say, to share your love with those around us, to share your good news with those around us so that we can build your kingdom because Kitchener needs it. God, Kitchener needs you. This world needs you. Let us be your broken vessels that you use to spread your good news. Lord, use me. Use each of us here today. Thank you, Jesus, that you use broken people to spread your good news, to bring your kingdom. Jesus, thank you for Peter and the example that he set. Thank you that he is not defined by his sin but he is defined by what happened after. Jesus, thank you that that same truth applies to each and every one of us. Lord, would you be with us this week as we go forward into whatever situation? Would you be with us? Would you go before us, beside us, behind us? Thank you, Jesus, in your holy and mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on our website at lgcy.church.